What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thanks, Frank. Hi, everybody. I'm John Fort in for Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead on The Exchange. Markets are higher once again, but after a series of big moves, today's action is kind of calm. So does that mean the dust has settled and it's safe to get back in? Well, we'll get some names that could be attractive following that big sell-off. Citigroup getting more bullish on Apple, but we'll hear from one Apple watcher who says the supply chain pain could cost the company billions more than some thought. And analysts getting busy before the holidays. We are looking at the biggest calls of the day and asking our panel if these stocks are a buy. But we begin with today's markets and Christina Pontenevelis. Christina. Well, thank you, John. As you pointed out, markets are definitely higher today, but not. And we have to positively say we've actually reversed all the losses from Monday's sell-off. Uh, volatility, though, is the name of the game. That's where I was going with that. But usually December tends to be quieter because traders are on vacation, less big news. But according to Bespoke Investment Group, December has been the most volatile month for stocks in 2021. So some of the weaker sectors today, and I'll start with the weaker ones, food, staple, retailers, biotech, media, and semiconductors. And we could see that, well, we will bring that up in just a second. You can see trending lower, but I want to focus on semiconductors for just a second because Micron is down today. That's after its best day in more than a year, just yesterday, after the company presented a surprisingly optimistic outlook for the memory chip market. NVIDIA trading pretty much flat to the upside. And AMD and Micron, two of Rosenblatt's top semi-picks for 2022. Those analysts over there are calling the chip sector the mother of all cycles and the biggest semiconductor cycle of all time based on factors such as the growth of artificial intelligence. And let's move on and talk about artificial intelligence. We talk about Tesla revving higher by about 6% today. This after Elon Musk said in an interview that he had sold enough stock to reach his goal of selling 10% of his shares. Over the past few weeks of those share sales, Musk has actually increased his holdings in Tesla due to the exercising of his options. And lastly, Alibaba. Down about 4% right now after Atlantic Equities downgraded the Chinese e-commerce company. Analysts over there are worried about the performance of two of Alibaba's shopping platforms. And this comes after a bounce yesterday after the company did announce a turnaround plan. It was going through it. They want to target some VIPs as well as older customers who, of course, can spend more. John, back over to you. Yeah, they've had more time to accumulate cash for sure. Uh, thanks, Christina. Now, it's been a volatile couple of weeks on Wall Street. My guests say they expect the trend to continue into next year, but the pullbacks present a good opportunity to hunt for some value. Joining me now with their picks are Hugh Johnson, Chairman and Chief Economist at Hugh Johnson Advisors, and David Katz, Chief Investment Officer at Matrix Asset Advisors. Good to see both of you. Hugh, what did we learn from this pullback maybe and how things moved around and how should we define value in 2022? Well, I think you, you take a look at the volatility, and volatility, uh, which was just mentioned, really equals uncertainty, John. And, and I think there's a lot of uncertainty as we look at 2022, because you've got to ask the question, you know, first of all, how's the economy going to do? We know it's going to be in the process of slowing. 
And we know that some of the, that we're not going to get some of the fiscal uh, kind of stimulus that we've gotten in the past. It looks like the Biden agenda might be, uh, I don't want to say dead on arrival, but it's, it's certainly a lot of uncertainty there. And the biggest uncertainty, of course, is the Federal Reserve. If Federal Reserve raises interest rates too much in 2022, that also could be a problem, a significant headwind. So I'm looking for, quite frankly, a yes, a positive environment, but it's a low return environment. So I think you've got to be playing it a little bit on the safe side. We're not going to see the kinds of returns that we saw in 2021 or, for that matter, significant average annual returns of over 18 percent since 2009. I think that's a thing of the past. 2022 is going to be a more difficult period. Now, that makes total sense. At the same time, I've had people telling me that for years now, right? Like, how long can this continue? So, David, you like some stocks like Comcast, which I should mention is the parent of this network, eBay, FedEx, U.S. Bancorp, Schlumberger. I mean, these aren't uh, necessarily the growth stock names that have been catching the meme crowd by storm. Why is now the time to pivot into those types of names? So we agree with Hughes overall thinking that it's going to be a year of slower returns. We think the market regresses to the mean 9 10% returns. We think there are lots of places in the stock market right now that are pretty richly valued. There are companies at 40, 50, 100 times earnings. Those are the ones we're avoiding. The companies that we highlighted that you just mentioned, they're all very good businesses. They grow their earnings over time, yet they're all selling at about 14 or 15 times earnings. So we think they're going to be the place to be. We think the world slows down. It's going to come back to value. It's going to come back to higher dividend stocks. We're wary about the really high-flying growth stocks. And we think in that choppy environment, uh, being with more secure, better businesses at lower valuation is going to make enormous sense. It's not going to be nearly as exciting, but it's going to be the way to be most profitable next year. Each of those companies that we highlighted, we think have 30 to 50 percent upside in the next 18 months. Huh. Well, Hugh, I noticed that you like uh, the dividends over at Abbott Labs and Pfizer. Those are also a couple names associated, of course, with this pandemic. Uh, Abbott with testing in particular, which has gotten a lot of attention over the past couple weeks with Omicron. Why are those not too volatile to, um, to bet on? Well, I think they're a little bit volatile. So, But I go along with David. David's talking about value, number one. He also talked about dividends. You know, you've got attractive dividends for both of these names and, and dividends, which, quite frankly, make the dividend yield of these stocks compare well with the yield that you have on a long-term, a 10-year U.S. Treasury. So that's the kind of thing you want to buy. And I think the most important thing that I could say is I watch pretty carefully the uh, relative performance, not only of these stocks, which is positive, but the relative performance of the healthcare sector. And it's just turned positive. And I think it's turned positive largely because as, as investors start to uh, pull in a little bit on risk, and it's turned positive largely because there's so much, as I mentioned at the start, uncertainty with regard to what's gonna happen to the economy and importantly earnings in 2022. There's a lot of risk out there in 2022, not the least of which, of course, as I mentioned, Federal Reserve policy and yeah. fiscal policy, which are going to be important drivers. Well, there's a lot that we don't know, David, but something that we're pretty sure we're going to get is midterms in 22, for example. Uh, of the things that we know within some margin that we're going to get, what do you expect to affect the market? And David, how does that impact your strategy? We think the two biggest drivers are going to continue to be covid uh, hopefully, uh, it's getting more under control, hopefully with the antivirals that are approved today and with the vaccines uh, 
maybe with the booster or the next booster, uh, we start to put COVID a little bit behind us. That's a concern, and that can change the market at any particular point in time. The Fed policy is going to be important. We think a lot of the stock market gains over the last 21 months, which have been robust, are driven by this enormous amount of liquidity. As the Fed takes some of that liquidity away, we think it's going to be a tougher environment. Uh, we think that from a political perspective, very interesting to focus on the elections, but we don't think that's going to be an overall uh, driver of the stock market. Rather, it's going to be the economy, corporate earnings, uh, and the Fed. All right. It's nice when politics stays out of it. Hugh, David, thank you. Great to be here. Thanks. Pleasure. Now, as Omicron continues to surge, Drugs to help treat COVID patients are becoming more critical. For the very latest on that front, let's check in with our Meg Terrell. Meg. Hey, John. And of course, there's big news on that front. Just in the last hour, the FDA clearing the first at-home COVID pill from Pfizer called Paxlovid. Uh, this is the first of its kind, an antiviral designed to be taken really early after diagnosis within five days, clearing this for high-risk adults and kids uh, ages 12 and older. So these are folks who are at higher risk of getting hospitalized or dying from COVID. In trials, this reduced the risk of either of those by 89%. So Tremendously exciting. Uh, Pfizer also saying today that it's increased its supply expectations of this drug for next year to 120 million treatment courses by the end of 2022, but it's going to be in pretty limited supply over the next few weeks, only 180,000 treatment courses by the end of this year. Uh, Pfizer says we're looking at tens of thousands of packs being shipped to the U.S. before the end of 2021, getting up to hundreds of thousands by the start of 2022. Of course, Merck also has an antiviral drug that's up at the FDA, and we are expecting potentially to hear news on that really at any time. You can see Pfizer's stock moving higher. Um, so we'll stay tuned for that. But these drugs are really important, John, at this moment now with Omicron because they're expected to hold up their efficacy against that. And we've seen that change with the antibody drugs from Regeneron and Eli Lilly in particular. They lose efficacy uh, against this variant. There is another antibody drug from Veer with its partner GlaxoSmithKline that holds up, but that's an incredibly short supply as well. We spoke with Veer CEO George Skangos about how they're trying to fix that. Here's what he said. We seem to be the only antibody left with uh, activity against Omicron. We are doing everything we can to accelerate the supply. We came here to deal with infectious diseases and save patients, and we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're doing everything we can from early morning till late at night to get more supply to people who uh, to need it. So as they are working on this and we're seeing uh, the companies, Pfizer and potentially Merck, getting the pills out there, we are seeing cases start to rise very steeply off of an already big wave from Delta, now with Omicron contributing, approaching 150,000 cases per day. John, of course, there are lots of reports and more even today that this will be less severe, send fewer people overall, at least as a percent of cases, to the hospital. But there are worries about the hospitals getting overwhelmed just by the sheer transmissibility of this. Of course, John, yeah. And, and that's, Meg, what I wanted to ask you about is in the first wave of COVID, there was a lot of talk about flattening the curve, particularly when it comes to hospitalizations, to make sure that not only they're not overwhelmed with COVID patients for the COVID patient's sake, but also for the sake of other patients who need services for other reasons. Are we at the point yet where you have a sense of whether things like this Pfizer pill, things like the rate of vaccinations have kept hospitals in this country, away from that point, uh, danger point of being overtaxed? 
You know, what we hear from folks in the healthcare space is that they're already overtaxed and that the quality of care in some areas has already declined. And as we've seen more and more, you know, cases and hospitalizations build up in some regions, uh, again, you know, sort of elective surgeries or pre-scheduled surgeries have had to be postponed so that hospitals have the capacity to deal with COVID patients. So it is an ongoing problem. And one big fear with Omicron is that it's so infectious, a lot of healthcare workers will get it. And even if they don't have severe cases, if out of work for a while, that's a big problem too. Yeah, indeed it is. Thank you, Meg, for that update. Now coming up, a credit rating upgrade and a price target hike for Apple today, but it's not all good news for the tech giant. Some bearish news from one big Apple watcher next. Plus, rising rates, tight supply, and sky-high home prices. We will get a check on the health of housing. And as we head to break, take a look at the Dow heat map. Caterpillar, the biggest gainer, Nike and Honeywell, the biggest losers. The exchange is back after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. Shares of Apple up about 1% in today's session. Moody's upgrading the tech giant's credit rating to AAA with a stable outlook thanks to its substantial operating scale and strong customer loyalty. And this as Citi bumps its price target for the stock to 200 bucks, expecting continued strong demand and new product launches like its AR VR headset in 2022. But there are some headwinds. Loop Venture analyst Gene Munster says supply chain challenges could end up costing the tech giant $2 billion more than expected for the December quarter. And Gene joins me now with more of what he sees ahead. Gene, uh, I hear what you're saying, but square this for me. I'm looking on Apple's site right now at the iPhone 13 Pro. Just clicked in a few things, and it says I could get one delivered tomorrow, or, or I could uh, order and, and pick it up in store on Friday. I mean, that sounds a lot better than it was a few weeks ago. What's going on? Well, uh, John, the conversation from my perspective starts, I just want to anchor it that I think demand for their products is great. And then uh, we talk about the supply side and it has improved. Uh, you mentioned one example based on our math, it's down to one day. A month ago, uh, we uh, had that measured at nine days for the average iPhone. So we look at uh, the average iPhone 13. We look at 10 products, uh, Apple products, over six countries on a monthly basis. So that's our methodology. So I first want to square 
your data point with my data point, which is we're on the same page, is iPhone has improved a lot. It's a big part of the December quarter revenue. It's 60% of revenue. Uh, but the, the, the issue, the challenge here, the $2 billion question in my case, is you have to look at the breadth of the product line. So that is an improvement. The watch is improved. But then on the flip side, you have the iPad. The new iPads, they're 42 days out. A month ago, they were 40 days out. I've never seen anything quite like that. That's mm. obviously because demand is strong. And then separately, the new MacBook Pro, uh, I measured at 25 days out. A month ago, it was 18 days out. And I think when you put this together, uh, you come up with a, a picture that if you look at the bulk of the buying for Apple in the December quarter, it really comes before December 15th. It's that November 15th to December 15th. And so a little bit of the iPhone improvement, a little too little too late, it, it doesn't uh, change the fact that I think the vast majority of this lost uh, sales is going to push to the March quarter. Interesting. I wonder, based on the loyalty that Apple has long commanded, though, if people are visiting stores, which are largely open, unlike uh, last year, for example, might they shift their buying intent from something that's out of stock like that MacBook Pro to something like a watch or a phone, which they might not have expected to see, but oh my goodness, here they are in stock. Might that play to Apple's advantage here? It will. I mean, they're going to pick up, uh, especially during the holiday buying period, you're going to see people that will forgo the newest product just to get a product. Uh, the iPad's a perfect example of that there's better availability of the older iPads. So I think that that dynamic does uh, put into play. But I want to bring it all together when we think about these lead times. And I've, I've followed them for a long time, and I think that there is some insights that you can gain. If you look at the average lead time for new Apple products as it stands today, it's 16 days. Uh, if you look at, uh, that's an improvement from 20 days a month ago. So it has improved. But typically at this, at this point, after essentially the holiday period, the buying period is done, at this point, we'd be seeing lead times for new Apple products in the two to four day range. Hmm. So they uh, were still uh, an order of magnitude greater. Apple guided that it would be a higher number than two to four days with that $8 billion headwind. Right. I think this is going to come into a little bit bigger headwind. Uh, investors should be aware of it, but ultimately shouldn't be worried about it. And another reason that I uh, wonder what the overall impact is going to be with the rise of Omicron, we've seen certain schools either going back uh, to remote or looking for hybrid adjustments, or at least parents are afraid that might happen in 22. So might you see some Q4 buying of uh, computers in anticipation of needing them at home that might not have happened otherwise because we see some of these uh, variant effects? What do you think? I think you're seeing it in the lead times. I mentioned that the lead times for MacBook Pro, now this is an expensive outside of that education piece, but it is a, a product that's used for work at home. And uh, that's gone from 18 to 25 days. We've seen it with the new iPads. Um, I think we're in the early stages of this. And I think this is one, uh, you know, just uh, fully anchoring back to my view. I think this is a $250 stock over the next couple of years, in part because of this uh, accelerating digital transformation that you're describing here, this work, learn, uh, uh, hybrid uh, type of a model. Apple is the, is the picks and shovels for this. Ironically, this was the big negative against Apple is that they had hardware and that, that, should, uh, that somehow that, that business shouldn't get the same multiple. I think investors over the next uh, couple of years are going to further embrace this idea that hardware is a, is a significant competitive advantage and should reward Apple's multiple appropriately for that. Well, hardware, chips, software, services, Apple's got a little bit of everything. Gene Musser, thank you. Thank you, John. 
Coming up, it's been a wild week for this stock, lower again today, down nearly 8% for the week. We will reveal it next. Plus, meet the company and the technology that helps workers return to the office safely. CEO of Envoy joins us with how it works, who uses it, and what the future of the workplace will look like. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Welcome back to The Exchange. The Dow up 240 points at the high. Markets right now fractionally higher across the board by more than half a percent. When you dig deeper into the stocks that are moving, you can see some trends today. Travel and leisure stocks, the cruise lines, Live Nation, Expedia, those are among the biggest gainers. And what's falling? Well, the vaccine makers and stay-at-home names. Moderna, BioNTech, Peloton, and Zoom all lower. And we are continuing to watch wild moves in Fresh Pet, the pet food maker. Last week, the stock plummeted when it warned about supply chain issues, but then it had a big rebound into yesterday, giving up a lot of that today. Bit of a hairball. Now to Christina Parts for a CNBC News update. Christina. Thank you, John. So here is what's going on at this hour. The Biden administration is extending a moratorium on student loan payments that started during the pandemic. Millions of Americans will now be able to put off student debt payments until next May. The moratorium was set to expire at the end of January. The NBA postponing two more games due to player shortages caused by COVID. Neither the Brooklyn Nets nor the Toronto Raptors are able to field the minimum eight-man lineup in games set for today and tomorrow. The NBA has now delayed nine games this season due to virus-related reasons. A special team of police officers is still patrolling at Miami International Airport, this following Monday's brawl involving two travelers and a police officer. The fight happened after one of the travelers took over an airport cart and refused to move until he received information about his delayed flight. On the news, dealing with unruly passengers and how flight attendants are being trained to de-escalate heated encounters. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. John, back over to you. Yeah, got to be careful out there. Thanks. Up next, a bullish edition of Rapid Fire. From industrials to restaurants to discretionary, where the street is seeing opportunities and whether you should buy in is next. The Exchange. Be right back. Let's catch you up on a few stories that should be on your radar. It is time for a rapid fire. On deck today, some bold calls on Wall Street. Here to help break it all down, our very own Bob Pisani, along with Marianne Montaigne, Portfolio Manager at Gradient Investments, and Charles Babrinskoy, Vice Chairman at Aerial Investments. First up, Bernstein upgrading Caterpillar to outperform. 
saying concerns about the end of the machinery cycle in 2022 are overdone. The firm says CAT will be the biggest beneficiary of looser monetary policy in China, especially as industrial activity picks up post-pandemic. Bernstein's 240 a share price target implies 23% upside from here and the broader industrial sector lagging the S&P 500 by about 10% this year. Uh, Charles, is this one thing that we can trust China on uh, as investors or what? I hate to get off to a negative start, but no, absolutely not. In fact, one of the things that we're really calling out is the bubble in Chinese residential uh, real estate, particularly construction of, of condominiums, which is going to come to a screeching halt. Uh, uh, Evergrande and, and their competitors are just the beginning. There are going to be maybe as much as $100 billion in losses. And so we would expect China's construction activity to drop significantly. And unfortunately, CAT is going to feel that. Marianne, China's big, as we all know. Uh, do you agree with that? And will this have fallout for more in the industrial sector? I think there's been a lot of speculation about that uh, Chinese demand falling off uh, ever since the Evergrande revelation. But uh, we think those concerns are overdone. And the company has already reported that orders are up 10 percent, uh, which uh, can only benefit from uh, GDP growth coming year. And then with moderated costs and share buybacks, the company should be able to reach the high end of the EPS growth estimates or about 30 percent. Uh, since the shares are trading around their 10-year average on an EV to EBITDA basis, uh, we would expect to see some expansion in that valuation also. Bob Bazzani, not going to ask you to be a tiebreaker here, but do you have any insight into whether investors are largely pricing in one way or the other problems uh, in China when it comes to construction and uh, real estate or not? Sure. Absolutely, they are. Look what happened to Caterpillar. It just dropped in the middle of the year as concerns about China came to the fore. But China's probably only 20% of their revenues. I would focus a little bit more on, for example, the North American construction cycle, which is going to be pretty strong still, I think. It seems to me it's going to be very strong. Um, the other important thing is just focusing on the supply chain. A lot of it depends on how you feel about inflation. So, for example, Probably 15% of Caterpillar's costs are steel costs. They went way up this year. The hope is that the steel costs are going to come way down. That would help their cost of goods sold, of course, rather dramatically. So a lot of this depends on where do you come down on uh, the, the cycle. We're in a, we seem to be in a mid-cycle, although it's pretty confusing. Mid-cycle, industrial names generally do pretty well in mid-cycles. Um, we seem to be in an upswing still in construction uh, in North America. That would benefit. I guess the overall question is, where are you on the supply chain issues? And hopefully... They'll mitigate a little bit in 2022. All right, investors will place their bets. Next up, Darden Restaurants higher today on an upgrade to buy from hold at Stiefel. Shares are still lower by about 2% over the past week after the Olive Garden parent company announced in its earnings release, longtime CEO Gene Lee will step down next year. But in that same report, Darden beat on the top and bottom lines and posted better than expected comps. Stiefel attributes the drop in shares to Lee's retirement, but says it's confident in his successor, who's currently Darden's CFO, that he can keep the company on a similar growth path. Marianne, so what do you think? Lots of breadsticks in 2022 <laughs> or no? How's this going to work out for him? 
Well, no breadsticks for me, but Jean Lee has a great track record at Darden, and prior to that, a great pedigree at Rare Hospitality, which Darden acquired. So um, as it's been for decades, we believe Darden has a very extensive uh, bench of talent, and Jean's absence starting next May, it's not like it's tomorrow or anything, that does not undermine our positive outlook for the company. Um, and look to today's consumer confidence report from the conference board. It shows how rising employment is increasing people's appetite for eating away from home in the coming year. I mean, that's my read through. Um, but we believe that Darden will continue to grow, continue to take market share. Uh, the stock should increase in line with earnings per share growth, which looks to be in the 22% area for calendar 22. Bob, th a lot of Darden, th there's a lot of carbs in there. I mean, is that okay? I don't know. <laughs> like sustainability, we're generally talking about the planet, not individually our waistlines. Um, but how's that trending with investors treating restaurant names like that? It's trending really badly with me. I can tell you uh, my <laughs> carb intake has gone up. So bad question to ask me. Um, look, how'd you like to do, project Darden's revenues for the next three to six months? It depends on where you are on, on Omicron. I mean, if you believe that people are going to power through this and still go out, then this company is very well positioned. Darden has been growing their earnings along with their revenues for years. They trade at a very reasonable multiple. It's about 17 times 2022 numbers. That's excellent. That's right in the middle where it's been for years. They're not overpriced. They're very fairly valued. Some would argue, uh, as they're here, they are here, uh, that it's actually uh, undervalued. So on a valuation basis, I don't have any problems at all. The problem I have is, how, what side of the debate on Omicron are you on? If you're pessimistic, you're going to think there's going to be an awful lot of cancellations in the next mm. few months. That's the problem I have, not well, on valuation. Well, then, Charles, do you have to look closely at their omnichannel strategy and see whether they can thrive despite that? Do you bet on Americans eating the way we've always tended to? Look, this is just this is a crowded trade. If you look at Wall Street, uh, they have one of the most lopsided buy ratings of any restaurant, uh, you, if you have, say, a buy is a one, a hold is a two, and a sell is a three, this has an average rating of 1.3, which means overwhelming buy side from um, uh, recommendations from the street. It's trading at 14 times EV to EBITDA. So I, I unfortunately disagree. I think this is an expensive stock that everybody loves, and they're going to suffer from higher wages. Uh, uh, labor costs are a big part of their cost structure, and it's going to be a tough year from a margin point of view. So I think this is at best a hold. Oh, sounds like you're saying investors would get indigestion from this bottomless buy rating. All right. Loop Capital Markets up next, upgrading Williams-Sonoma to buy from hold, saying it remains America's premier omni-channel retailer. The firm says the pandemic remains a tailwind for its housewares into the new year as the home improvement boom rolls on. Loop also cites robust free cash flow, 70% e-commerce penetration as reasons to be bullish. Loop says the stock, is a, the stock has had an 11% pullback this month, and that created an attractive entry point for investors. Sees more than 20% upside from these levels. Bob, I guess this, in a way, is the flip side of the Darden trade, right? You right. don't go to Olive Garden. Exactly. You stay at home and make stuff with your expensive right. cookware. Is that a better bet? Yeah, no, what, that's exactly right, John. I mean, somebody's wrong here. This is the opposite <laughs> of the Darden story. This is the ultimate work from home uh, story that's out there. I think, uh, and again, this is 
where do you come down on the Omicron story? Uh, if you believe people are going to stay at home more, cancel their reservations uh, and not go to work as much, the, it's a great company. Uh, it's also a great company on a valuation basis. I mean, this is just one of the great winners on Wall Street. What, I'll tell you what I love about this. They're in one of the top maybe 15 buyback monsters out there. This company has aggressively bought back stock and unlike many companies have actually reduced the share count. They're down, their share count's down about 25% in the last decade uh, or so. That's significant. That means everything else equal, earnings are 25% better than they were uh, a 10, 10 years ago because of that. And it's pretty reasonable. It's about 12 or 13 times 2022 earnings estimates. That's not bad uh, at all. So again, on a valuation basis, I don't have any complaints at all. I just want to know if the work from home story still has resonance in 2022. Charles, what's interesting to me about this is uh, the omni-channel play, right, that they've done pretty well there. And then also the idea that it's a tool that's also sculpture. It's, it's like you, you leave these things out in the kitchen. So maybe the home improvement trend, not just the eat at home trend, almost maybe like an apple uh, uh, of, of kitchenwares. Is that fair? Oh, I think it's absolutely fair. And, and it, you don't have to have a stay home structure here. Um, people um, are buying new houses. They tend to, to stock those new houses with Williams-Sonoma uh, goods. And it is trading at eight times EV to EBITDA uh, as opposed to um, our previous name at 14. So, so this is a great company that's gotten really rocked in the last month uh, for, in my opinion, no good reason. A great company trading at a very attractive valuation. All right. And speaking of money, <laughs> finally, Oppenheimer naming Coinbase a top pick for 2022, saying the exchange is poised to benefit from expanding digital asset adoption, as well as the rise of DeFi. That's decentralized finance. It's been a roller coaster for shares since Coin went public in April. They're higher today, but down nearly 20 percent in December, on pace for their worst month since May. Marianne, is, is 2022 going to look better for crypto and Coinbase? You know, not if you look at the charts for uh, coin or Bitcoin, and there's over 12,000 12, cryptocurrencies out there that are fighting for market share. Uh, we continue to lack an understanding of cryptos in favor of gold for a high inflationary environment that we find ourselves in. And so this space remains Vegas money for our clients and not part of our models at Gradient. Bob Pisani, is Coinbase like Robinhood? Like, are, are they trading to get on this idea that the very idea of investing is changing? Do you have to sort of believe in both or are there the narratives different from what you're hearing? Uh, slightly different. It's based on the idea, though, that people will be dramatically going into the crypto space. Coinbase has some very particular problems. It trades roughly in line with, with Bitcoin and they need to diversify. If you believe in the, in the general concept of crypto, they need to diversify, period. Uh, and the market's telling you that. They went public months ago at 250 was the reference price. It's 250 today. It's trading near the lows for the year, not the highs for the year, because it trades in line uh, with Bitcoin. Now, all this Web 3.0 stuff that everybody talks about, it's just decentralized finance. That's a great idea. That means reducing friction in financial transactions, reducing friction when you send money to your friend in London, reducing friction when you buy real estate and you record the deed on a blockchain, reducing friction when you 
buy and sell stocks and, and use them to clear. I love decentralized finance. I love this whole concept of Web 3.0. Big two thumbs up to that. Whether or not anybody can translate that into something that's marketable and usable, yeah. I don't know. All I can tell you is Coinbase needs to get away from Bitcoin. Yeah, what I don't like, too, about stuff like Web 3.0 is everybody seems to be trying to make it mean what they want it to mean in order to sell their thesis. We'll see where that ends up in 22. Bob, Marianne, Charles, thank you. Okay. Thanks for having us. For more on a call on cryptos and exchanges, Oppenheimer analyst Owen Lau is going to join Power Lunch next hour. Um, and up next, 2022 could be a record for munis, according to the street. But with Biden's spending bill in limbo, could that run already be in jeopardy? That's next. We're back in two. Welcome back. Got a quick news alert on Amazon, its cloud unit drawing scrutiny from Khan's FTC, according to Bloomberg shares, are uh, at session lows. They've lost that kind of break-even level for the day, down roughly a percent. Not a huge move, and I would note that up until this point, a lot of the antitrust scrutiny uh, that Amazon has drawn has been in the e-commerce business around third-party uh, resellers on its platform and whether it treats them fairly. Of course, we will continue to track that story. Moving on, muni bonds got a big boost in 2021 thanks to generous fiscal policy. More than $430 billion was issued through November. But with Build Back Better dead in the water for now, at least, and the Fed getting more hawkish, how's 2022 shaping up? Joining me now is Peter Bookvar, Chief Investment Officer at Bleakley Advisory Group and a CNBC contributor. Peter, uh, what's the state of state finances, and how much does this play into how munis look from here? Well, in the March uh, Biden fiscal spending plan, states got $195 billion. Uh, so they are flush. And then you take the infrastructure bill, which basically is taking federal money to replace what would have been state money in financing a lot of infrastructure projects. So states got to pass there as well. Then you add in this extraordinary run that we've seen in markets over the past 10 years, and uh, pensions, public sector pensions, are more than 80% funded, which is the highest since 2008. So from a credit standpoint, at least right now, uh, the balance sheets of these states look good. So what does that mean for the attractiveness of munis? Because, I mean, it sounds like they're safer than a lot of people would have feared uh, a year and a half or so ago. But then at the same time, there are other attractive places to put your money for stability. Well, I think the problem that munis face is the same thing that any fixed income investor faces right now, and that's microscopic yields. And you can look at high yield, where it's not really high yield because you're only getting about 4%. Uh, so it's you're really scrounging for crumbs here when it comes to fixed income. And munis, because of the rally, because of the strength of the state uh, balance, sheet, as, balance sheets, as I mentioned, uh, its spread relative to treasuries is pretty tight. So. Uh, there isn't much upside other than the coupon you're going to clip. And unfortunately, that coupon is not very high. Does the outlook at all depend on uh, what the Fed ends up doing uh, about inflation next year? H how will the rate heights that are expected, at least, impact this situation? Well, certainly the Fed's response to the inflation we've seen is going to impact the yield curve. And ever since mid-June, when Powell said that he's finally now going to be talking about tapering, we've seen a pretty short flattening of that curve because people assume that Fed tightening will eventually slow growth 
and therefore you get that flattening. So the short end of the curve, because I do think the Fed will at least attempt to raise interest rates, could be more vulnerable to the long end, which actually could rally because of what the Fed is doing, notwithstanding the inflation picture, which I think will be more persistent and sustainable than those in the transitory camp believe. All right. Well, it's nice that they at least feel safe, like I guess they're supposed to. Peter Bookvar, thank you. Thanks, John. Still ahead, home builder stocks moving higher today as mortgage rates hit a four-week low and refi applications pop. But how low can rates stay as the Fed ramps up? We will discuss the exchange. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Existing home sales climbing in November from the previous month, but supply remains tight. And then there's interest rates. Diana Olick joins me now for a check on the health of the housing market. Diana. Well, John, higher interest rates are starting to take their toll. Sales of existing homes in this, in November rose just under 2%, but the street was expecting a bigger gain. These are counted by closings, so contracts signed in September and October and take a look at what happened to mortgage rates. They rose pretty sharply, this on top of very low supply, which pushed the median price of a home sold in November to $353,900, up 13.9% from November of 2020. That annual price gain was actually slightly larger than October's increase. The gains had been coming down a bit from close to 20% earlier this year. I guess not so much anymore. The action, though, is still happening on the higher end of the market. Homes priced between seven. $750,000 and $1 million rose 37% year over year, and those priced above $1 million up 50% year over year. Homes priced between $100,000 and $250,000, they fell 19%. That's because supply is so low on the low end. First-time buyers dropped to just 26% of the market from 32% a year ago. Historically, they should be about 40%. And it looks like sales may be slowing further. Mortgage applications to buy a home fell last week compared with the previous week, and there were down 9% from a year ago. Mortgage rates are expected to move even higher next year as the Fed stops pouring money into mortgage-backed bonds. The realtors today said they expect to see fewer home sales as a result next year, but not much easing on home prices due to that still very low supply. John? Yeah, so Diana, does that tell us anything or suggest anything about price sensitivity heading into 22? I mean, we were just talking yesterday about that huge development in Phoenix and sort of what the outlook for things like that, projects like that are. Well, you expect that prices would ease up a little bit as rates go up because that's why prices rose so much in the past two years, because rates were sitting at record lows. But you still have that supply issue, such low supply and still very strong demand. And that's going to keep a floor under prices. They may ease up a bit just due to that affordability problem. And as interest rates rise, there's just going to be a wall of affordability. But I don't expect them to ease up that much. Again, it's all supply and demand. Ah, and those materials costs. Not an easy business. Diana, thank you. Still ahead, from Mondelez to CVS to Alphabet, companies are rolling back their return to office plans yet again. CEO of one company working to help keep offices COVID safe joins me next. The Exchange will be right back. Welcome back to The Exchange. With Omicron cases surging, Amazon, Meta, Twitter, and others will not be sending teams in person to the Consumer Electronics Show, CES, in Vegas in a couple of weeks. 
This has multiple companies postpone the return to offices. But for those who are in the office or will be, one company is working to help keep employees as safe as possible. Joining me now is Larry Gaddia, the founder and CEO of Envoy, a hybrid workplace software company. Larry, I can only imagine, uh, I don't know how long exactly Envoy's been doing this, but a couple years ago, this sort of hot desking, you know, culture was sort of like a hippie workplace thing that was, that was edgy, you know. Uh, but now everybody needs it. How much have you had to shift your strategy to accommodate that? Hey, hey, John, and also thanks for having me. It's 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 incredible just what's happening in the world right now. But here's the thing, right? Like people are always going to be with uh, other people. They're going to want to be with other people. The community of any kind of workplace is big. And hey, you have to keep on adapting in this environment. So we've been building products literally nonstop ever since the beginning of the pandemic. And it, be it vaccination checks, be it uh, testing, tracking, be it any kind of hot desking to make sure people are coming together on specific days, uh, whatever to help these companies kind of keep track of everything logistically and, and really make that workplace experience be great for everyone in the process. Now, I imagine one of your biggest challenges has to be platform integrations, whether it's ServiceNow or Salesforce, Slack or Microsoft, right? There are so many large organizations that already have a footprint on these platforms and would want access to these kinds of services. How are you doing at that, particularly with the shortage of talent out there? No, it's a really great question because it's it's as companies go back, everyone's trying to figure out exactly what is the best way for my company to make this seamless for everyone. The best way to get the data to make those good decisions is by integrating with lots of different products. Our products just integrate with the ones you listed and, and just so many more, everything around door access, everything around even like just how is space utilized and and when you bring that all together, you can say, hey, these people come on these days. These people come on other days. And, and this is the safety risk. This is like all these people on this floor are vaccinated and, and you can be much more confident there. And it's like this is the kind of thing that, that these companies really need to know. And you can't get the data and, and be confident about things unless people are willingly wanting to use the things to, to provide that data. Like uh, when are they coming in, which days and, and those checks. So, yeah, it's really important. Experience is really key, and, and you got to build products from, for that. From an operational leadership perspective, how are you approaching growth? Uh, I, I imagine uh, venture capital funding is uh, pretty available to you at this point, but also the overall macro outlook a bit unclear. So how much are you leaning into growth and spending? Uh, how much are you maybe holding back? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the pandemic, at first we were like, oh no, this is our core business. We literally sell the workplaces and they're all required by law to close. But it turns out uh, people, employees were in these situations at home where they had bad internet, they had construction going on, they had weird child situations that happened and they didn't, they couldn't be there all the time. So they needed a place to go and their offices needed uh, to open in small amounts at the, at the beginning. But what happened is these people now had an environment where where they could be safe. They needed to be safe. And these companies need to be conscious of the fact that, that people need to be safe. And as they people kept on coming back, this is how these products got built. And yeah, I think people are just really in, really finding that, hey, it doesn't have to be that different and, and they, can, they can start rebuilding again. How and for us, your... it's been good. Yeah. It's been good. It's, it's nice for as a company to, to be able to appeal to the day-to-day -day issues people have. That's really important. Not every company can, can immediately start acting on things. But we've been doing it ever since the beginning. And, and I think that's what keeps everyone here excited. And that's what keeps me excited. And that's what keeps our customers continuing to come to us 
our our uh, just usage and numbers and everything are higher than they've ever been. Yeah. Our growth in the last quarter has been higher than uh, growing faster than Absolutely. it ever has before. And plus, we never know when we're going to be in the office versus not, which I guess plays exactly to your strategy. That's Larry, exactly it. Thank the you for piece. being with us. Yep. That's going to do it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.